This is episode 14, and we are going to talk about physiology today. So, as you should already know, if you've been following the podcast and following Physiotype, we use physiological traits to determine what type someone is. Um, and we have discussed some of those physiological traits just in passing, but this episode is going to be entirely dedicated to discussing um, a lot of those physiological traits and what we can infer from those traits, um, what we think we can infer. Um, general caveat, because you know I love caveats, um, working theory, right? Some of these are bound to be wrong, um, but we think most of them are right, and this is mostly correct. Um, and this is, I would say the physiological traits we're going to discuss here are mostly, is the majority of what we use when determining someone's type, right, Alex? Yeah, yeah. If Yeah, basically everything. Um, and, and like the add to your caveat, like, yeah, I think some of this might be wrong, but at the very, very least, this information will get you to that the person's isomorph or um, what's the MBTI term for isomorph? I can't even Inverse? think of it now. I don't know. Inverse. Yeah. So like at the very least, it'll tell you that they're either an NFP or an STJ or an NTP or an SFJ. Whether they're NTP or SFJ, that might be up to you to just listen to them and see what they're saying and go off that. But at the very, very least, this will get you to that point. Yep. Um, if we're and completely correct, then this will get you to everything, including subtypes, all that, all that jazz. But that's right. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say that uh, the way we physiologically type people is born from intuition, right? Uh, Definitely. It's. Uh, it is true that physiotype came from intuition for, for us working on it. Um, which isn't, you know, it's, I don't like saying that, but it's true. Um, but it's, it's fine to come up with, uh, processes and engineer things from intuition. As long as once you've, once you've fleshed it out, then you start cutting away all, all the, all the, uh, BS and actually seeing what's, where was your intuition, right? Where was it wrong? So that's, so basically we ha we had the intuitions, and then we've spent a lot of time cutting away the wrong parts, adding the right parts, figuring out, oh, what's this actually mean? I think he looks like a uh, STJ, but why do I think that? And so we're, what we're bringing to you today is why we think that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even with like the, the super easy, simple stuff to see, like prone versus supine. Um, you know, I've, I've read people's comments about, about our podcast and about how like, you know, like they had never noticed that prone and supine was a pattern, but you know, you you think about it and you you know someone says it and suddenly you see it everywhere. That's kind of how intuition works. It it'll tell you the information you need to know while omitting the details that it used to get to that conclusion. And of course, intuition can be correct. It can also be incorrect. It's not like intuition's infallible. But the point here, I guess, is that intuition isn't necessarily wrong. Um, and I think people don't give it enough credit sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm one of those people who's like very non-intuitive. I hate intuition. Um, I, well, hate is a strong word, but you know, I, I'm anti-intuitive basically. Um, but even I, I will see that, Hey, you know, let's, let's go ahead and use intuition if you want. And then you must, you know, have some type of rigorous proof afterwards, but use intuition to be rigged, use intuition to generate ideas. And then, you, you know, use a scientific method to, 
to pull him back and rein him in. And that works sometimes. Um, okay, so we didn't we prepared a lot for this episode, and the one thing I forgot to do was what you wanted to do, Alex, was like organize these in some way. Um, yeah. I, do you want to give I me some? I guess we could we could go or- we could like we could just go in order the order that the list is in, and then maybe towards the end of each one, like rank how confidently we would use this when typing someone's face. Yeah. Let's not talk about, well, I don't know. I'm trying to be less unconfident to our listeners. Well, like some of these, like I'd give like a 95% chance of this is going to be, this is going to work on someone's face. It's not about our confidence necessarily. Let's just say it's not about our confidence. Yeah. Yeah. The strength of the signal. You want me to get that? Who is it? Oh, it's groceries. So no one, we neither of us have to get that. Okay, sorry about that. Doorbell no, you're ring. good. Okay, so the order in which uh, we've written these down, um, I guess we'll just get into it. Yeah, that's fine by me. Okay, the um, first one. Yeah, first one. Labumental crease. Uh, I this is probably one of the more recent ones we've been talking about. Um, we've talked about it before. It's basically the crease where the chin stops, like where the top of your chin meets your face. It's the line underneath your lip, your lower lip, where you would say that your chin starts. Right. And I guess um, the most technical definition I can come up with kind of on the fly is on the Z axis, meaning depth, uh, it is the deepest point between the bottom of your chin and the uh your your bottom lip it's like a hill at the bottom at, at the labiamental crease you're like you're crawling up a hill at that point once you're in the labiamental crease whether you're going up to the lip or going to the chin you're going upwards kind of on the z-axis right 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 yeah and so this relates and we've had a few thoughts about this um one of the main ones is that this relates to meta versus meza uh like just straight meta versus meza so that's not just including the social functions and the um, conceptual functions. Uh, conceptual functions. Any SI, NI, SE. And then the social functions, which would be FITE, FETI. Yeah, that. And those are still, wor- like, those are just, like, working names. Like, I, I still don't feel like they yeah. capture. I'm not sure. How to- I really love the. Um- I really love just calling them like information gathering and information processing, like something like that. You know what I mean? Cause that's, yeah, like that's the most there's, there's some, there's something there. I don't know. We'll come up with better words. Eventually the point is this just indicates meta versus meza across the board for all those functions. This is not specific to one function. Correct. This is indicative. This is indicative of the physiotype dichotomy meta mesa. Right. And so we haven't actually said, how to read the labial crease, the lower it is, the more mess of the person it is, the higher it is, the more meta the person is. Right. So, so that means if their labial crease is like all the way up their lower lip, they're going to almost definitely be NTP or SFJ. And if the labial crease is as low as can you can humanly go without it breaking someone's face, then they're probably SFP or NTJ. Um, Abraham Lincoln, Colby Witted, some of the great minds uh, of our civilization uh, have very high labium. <laughs> um, no, seriously, but Abraham Lincoln and me, very high labium increases. And I think labium increases a pretty darn good um, signal, right? It's it's pretty pretty reliable. It is. 
It is for especially for like full meta and full meza types. Uh, it gets a little messy with like all the in between types like NFPs and STPs and NFJs and all them, uh, because the labiamental crease kind of hovers in the middle ish for all of those. Yeah, but then again, I would I would say, but that's how it should be because I'm full meta. I have a high labiamental crease. You're half meta. You have a mid medium right medium uh, high labiamental crease. Not super low. Not super high. So, yeah, I think it's. It's easier to tell at the extremes, just like with lots of things. But I think it's pretty darn reliable, huh? Yeah, I, I would. I don't know. Nine out of ten reliability, maybe even more. I can. I can think of. I can think of a single SFP that whose labiamental crease is not at the bottom, and it's like almost like even then, it's still pretty low. Like, and that's the best case for a caveat I have. For for all of these, there's almost certainly always exceptions, but you know, the the general rule is. Height of labiamental crease. Lower is mesa, higher is meta. Should we move on? Uh, Bizigomatic width. Bizigomatic width um, is indicative of uh, FETI. So bizigomatic width is the width from um, the wide part of your upper cheek to the other wide part. It's that hard part in the bone. So, you know, most of your face has soft, has muscle, fat, and flesh, and then take that part on your face that's like pretty near um, the level of the eyes, but fairly far forward, um, where you feel just a lot of bone, not much fat um, or muscle or skin. And that's the busygomatic width. So it's like cheekbone to cheekbone, pretty much the widest part of anyone's face. Um, And the wider it is, the more likely it is that you are F-E-T-I. So that means that... Or or rather, the wider it is compared to your yes. face height so it is it is a uh, um, proportion yeah a proportion right thanks alex that's important yeah. um so that means that anyone with feti in any order will have a, a wider bizigomatic width to height ratio so that means uh stps ntps nfjs and sfjs all theoretically on out av- should have on average, the same facial width to height rate. And I, I, on a previous, on the on the episode where we talked about uh, the hockey players and stuff, we were talking about how like, oh, maybe this isn't as indicative for women as it is for men. Uh, I don't think we ever talked about it again. But I, I started looking around, and I, I still think it's as equally indicative as it is uh, for women as it is for men. So I think something else is going on. Maybe. Fe women just aren't aggressive for some reason, or something. I don't know. As a follow up to that episode, I, I personally still think it's indicative for both men and women. I rate this one a little lower. I rate this one like six or seven out of ten. Because and it's almost completely because of these slim, uh, slim faced NTPs that I see. Like, I see a lot of wide-faced NTPs, but I also see a lot of, like, really slim-faced NTPs. Vitalik Buterin, um, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, it's it's not a... This signal isn't nearly as strong as labiamental crease, for instance. I, I can't think of any exceptions for, like, NFJs or STPs, but... Or even SFJs. I'm sure there's an SFJ exception, but, like, it's almost exclusively NTPs that I see the exception in. We should circle back around to that eventually, because uh, that seems very true and i wonder why that is there might be a reason for that so prone supine um so 
the prone-supine dichotomy in physiotype is related to the prone-supine uh, physiological dichotomy. Uh, so when we say prone or supine, we are referring to both eye socket and eyebrows. So we have talked about this. Uh, your eye sockets are more prone if the outer eye corners of your eye socket are particularly high in relation to the inner eye corners of your eye socket. And your eyebrows are particularly pine if the apex of your eyebrows is um, significantly higher than the inner part of your eyebrow. Yeah. And then, yeah, so this relates to prone supine. So in, in MBTI, that's F and T, right? And then the... the, the mm-hmm, yeah, prone yeah. being T. And, and then the other, yeah. um, the other thing that goes along with this is something we've noticed um, is that... So, right, we already said prone supine is indicative of prone and supine in the physiotype dichotomy. So that would mean that you couldn't in, you couldn't infer you couldn't infer the difference between NTP and an NTJ solely from that. Except for we do have another signal, which is the apex of the eyebrow in prone people is often further closer into the inner of the face, the inner side of the face in meta people. So what that means is you have an NTP and NTJ. They both are very prone, right? Prone eyebrows. However, the apex or the highest point on the eyebrow will come sooner, will arrive earlier. Um, it'll be closer to the inside on an NTP or on a, yeah, an NTP as opposed to an NTJ. Um, so basically what you'll see, what it'll kind of look like is it'll have more shape to it. So like an NTP, if they're very prone, they'll kind of have like, it'll go up quickly to the apex and then it'll actually come down quite significantly, quite, quite obviously. With an NTJ, it'll just kind of flare out and just kind of keep on going and, and fade off. You know, it'll just, it won't come down. It won't flare down hard at the end. I would rate this very high when predicting behavior. However, like, like almost a hundred percent. Like I, I know of literally two people that I've ever interacted with that this didn't match well with. Um, however, I like, and I, again, we've, I think we've had this discussion before. I don't know if we've had it on air, but like, like this varies a lot within subtype. So, I wouldn't use prone supine alone when deciding if someone's an SFP or an NTJ. I would use it in conjunction with other things because you might be looking at a TE heavy SFP as opposed to an um but you know that's that's a different thing. But when we're relating it to like how well does this relate to behavior, like this is great. I this is probably the thing I'm the most confident prone versus supine. Um but yeah, I wouldn't use it without using the other signals as well when trying to figure out someone's complete type. What you're saying is prone supine is pretty much perfectly indicative of behavior, but not necessarily perfectly indicative of type because you have a SFP. Sure, that's more prone than an in, in NTJ. Um, but if that was the case, which can happen, the SFP would also be more prone in behavior generally. So the next one I have called forward cervical and thoracic curvature. <laughs> um, me and Alex aren't physiologists, so sometimes we have to look up the proper terminology. Um, basically, what that means is uh, the cervical spine is the largest portion of the spine. It's basically the center of the spine, but it's like, you know, half the spine uh, and the center half. And then, the th- th- yeah, the thoracic curvature is um, like a quarter of the spine. So basically... It's yeah. going to be more, uh, you're going to have bat- worth, worse posture if you're FI, uh, better posture if you're FE in general. So basically you have forward curvature of um, the upper spine and that results in 
worst looking posture, you know, that hunched look. And that's more common with FI. I think we all have bad posture nowadays, but FI has worse posture. Yes, definitely. Like the, not only like the, the hunched forward and also like the rolling forward of the shoulders too. like, um, we don't have it on here, but also like slightly related to that is like that hip jut that you commonly see in FI heavy people where like, they're walking, but it looks like their hips are like leading. Oh, so it's a frontal hip shot. Their their hips are further forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so can you have both? You can have a hip shot and also bad posture. Yes, I've definitely seen both. In fact, they're gonna go together because if you have uh, thoracic and cervical curva- frontal curvature, that means your center of weight is gonna be further forward. That means which means that you gotta push your, your hips lumbar, forward. Yeah. That means your lumbar is going to just be tilted back and you have to push your hips forward. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So um, you're going to see that together more often. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would rate this fairly high as well. I'd probably give this like a, a like a seven and a half. Um, the only reason I don't rate it any higher than that is maybe it's... Honestly, the only reason I don't rate it higher is because of one person that's close to me that's definitely an STP that does have that hit jut and bad posture um if that person if i didn't know that person though i would probably rate it higher because i can't think of anyone else in my life anyone else i know that isn't fi heavy and has this uh this bad posture um so between that and like some sfps like sometimes sf you know there's some subs of sfp that really like to work out and usually those have very good posture because of it so you know, someone who works out, it's it's going to mess with this. But overall, I rate this pretty high. If they have bad posture, like, I don't know, 7 out of 10 chance they're FI heavy. Okay, yeah. No, I'll buy it. Um, should we move on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, there is a, just a little caveat in here. Uh, this is a pretty low confidence thing that, Alex, you brought up. Oh, right. Higher TE uh, might equal slightly better posture um it seems like sfps have slightly worse posture than ntjs on average so that yeah. would mean that the te is for whatever reason you know it's yeah mm-hmm. and i it's i think that i think the higher te subtypes of sfps tend to have better posture but again i might be wrong about that i i need to see more people i'll buy it okay um the next thing is we discussed this one a lot um, there's probably some other eye signals we have, but this is the one that we're confident in and can explain well is, um, vibrancy of color of the iris. Right. So what that means is, um, you could have two different types and maybe they both have green eyes. You have an SFJ and an SFP. They both have green eyes, very similar eye qualities. Um, this is of course on average, very average, um, the SFP will have a duller, flatter color of green. Um, so basically, the meta will have more vibrancy in the color of the eye. So it's like you're going to have a, you're going to, it's like with, with Mesa people, you just mix in a little more gray into the palette to get that color. And with meta people, you mix in a little less gray, kind of. You know what I mean? I, I, this, this is really good if like you're, they're definitely FJ. You don't know if they're SFJ or NFJ. Um, 
this could be the defining like the deciding factor like I, I this signal seems to be strong enough that I would use it in deciding between two types um same thing with like an SFP and an NFP like they you just they're just right on the edge like it's either an SFP with a lot of NI or an NFP with a lot of SI and you're just not quite sure uh, this would be one signal I would definitely be looking for. Love it. Um, next one is, oh, this is a fun one. Squinch versus squint. Now there has been some debate as to which is the squinch and which is a squint. Um, so we'll describe these terms in depth. But when I looked it up, you know, on Google, squinch is upward movement of material to uh, p- pull your flesh and stuff closer to the iris. Squint is downward movement of flesh and stuff to get your flesh closer to the iris. And everyone does both. Everyone squints and squinches. However, when an SENI person squinches, um, their face continues to appear very relaxed. And when an any SI person squinches, uh, there's a lot more stress in the face. Uh, I'm assuming this is because there's more there's more muscle activation going on to pull off the same movement. Um, I wouldn't be able to give you the exact physiological reasons for it. Uh, but if if you have one person that's an SFJ and another person that's an NFJ, and they're both trying to do the same squinching movement, the NFJ's face will look much more relaxed while he's doing it versus the SFJ. That's doing the same. SC and I people will, when they close their eyes, they look like they're pulling down the top more. It looks like they're pulling up, up the bottom less, say, right? Or you just, or you just think it's attention only. Like maybe it'll be easier to like, to show you like a picture of what I mean. Like look at, um, this guy's face here. I'm going to send you a picture. So like this guy is definitely SFP and he's definitely pulling up his eyes. Like he's definitely squinching, but mm. There's way less muscle activation to perform the same function. Yeah, you're right. Than if I were to try to do that. You see, he's SFP, right? Yeah, interesting. So he's clearly pulling up the bottom. You can see that, but yeah, he's doing it with almost no, like I don't know what's going on, but it appears as if there's almost no effort being made when he does it. So I would say it's almost as if um, people who are more uh, squinters. It seems like they use the muscles close to their eyes to do it, while squinchers are like they're actually like utilizing their cheeks even to close their eyes. Almost. Yeah, like that that's what it, that's what it looks like. It's something that's not c- causing the uh, you know the area around the eyes to wrinkle up. Like if I were trying to do that same thing, like it's like, like I feel so much activation going on here, and it yeah. Like when I see myself doing it in the mirror, it's like that does not look comfortable at all. Yeah, this guy looks so I, very I guess comfortable. Rule, yeah, the kind of rule is then. In ISE, uh, they have less stress going on when they close their eyes. In, in ESI, they put forth a lot of effort into the closing their eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> eye size. Yeah, eye size. So literally the size of your eye socket or size of your visible eye. So the more of the person's eye you can see, the bigger the eyes are, the more likely they are to be P. So an NFP, an STP, and uh, there's more types, I swear. SFPs. Um, and then if their eyes appear smaller, the smaller their eyes are, the more likely they are to be J. So NTJ, NFJ, STJ, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. And that's kind of it. Yeah. 
Uh, how... This one's special, though, as, as far as the first ones, because uh, this is P versus J rather than uh, meta massa, a physiotype dichotomy, or a function. This is just a letter in MBTI. So the other way you could look at this is this is meta-universal versus uh, mesa Meta universal versus, Sorry. or meta meta conceptual functions. If we're gonna use our working terms, versus meta conceptual. This one's like the most straightforward you could possibly be. Yeah, just how big, and it's literally don't don't stress about like most of these are kind of intuitive looks, right? Like the squinch versus squint. Like you'll know it when you see it. Like they're putting forth effort into into that into that uh, squinch they're doing. Um, eye size, it'll just, do, do they look like they have big eyes? Then good chance they're a P. Do they, they have small eyes? Good chance there's a J. That simple. Yeah. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's measurements you could assign to this, but we have not done that yet. So, um, yeah. none of these require actual measurements. Like to sign, to, to get some rigorous scientific evidence for this, we need measurements, but, um, you can use all these without, without taking a ruler to some stranger's face. Yeah. Okay. So the snarl, I think this is the first time we're talking about this on air. Um, the best way to describe the snarl is to imagine an animal snar- snarling at you. Like the motion that an animal, like maybe let's use a monkey or an ape as an example, since they have the more similar looking faces to us. Uh, the motion that they have to do to perform to show their teeth in threatening as a threat. It's the same motion we're looking for here, except uh, while they're doing it to be threatening, you'll just see this motion just in everyday, everyday body language. So it's basically. So this is the first. Um, well, this is this is it's this is a non-static feature, right? Right. Yeah. Um, this is movement based. It's easiest to see when someone is smiling, and basically what will happen is. There's two muscles, one on each side of your nose, that will pull your lips straight upwards, like just above where the canines are. And when you're smiling, that's how you'll see the teeth of that person. It's with the, that muscle activation there. Okay, um, so it's more upper lip, upper movement. Right. Yeah. The more activated it is, the more likely they are to be prone. And then the less activated, the more likely they are to be supine. And So the next one is... Uh... The inset of eyes. That refers to the depth on the z-axis, right? So deeper set eyes are going to tend to be S-E-N-I. More outer set eyes are going to tend to S-I. So it's both an appearance and it's measurable, I would say. So like if you took the average z-depth at which the flesh stops before the eyes and then measured where <laughs> the eye starts, it would be greater in it. N I S E. Right, right. Now, so, now you translate that, Alex. <laughs> so basically, any S I S eyes pop out of their face more, and S S E N I eyes are more sunk into the face. So it's like S E N I, you're pushing the eyes into their face, and any S I, you're pulling the eyes out of their face, basically. Right. So we even have like a kind of pejorative term, bug-eyed. Right. So mm-hmm. bug-eyed directly indicates outset eyes right yeah yeah exactly uh-huh um yeah yeah so you know 
the more they pop out, the more N-E-S-I they are. And the less they pop out, the more uh, S-E-N-I they are. Um, again, not much to say about this. Pretty straightforward stuff. So once again, because this is N-E-S-I versus S-E-N-I, that would mean that on average, theoretically, SFJs, NTPs, NFPs, and STJs all have the same level of outset or inset. Would you say that's... Right, no. yeah. At least in theory. Yeah. They would all have the same amount of popping out of their eyes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Oh, well, I I guess I guess before before we move on, we I I think we forgot we forgot to like rate these um from like squinch on actually. Yeah, oops. Um just going back for a second. Squinch versus squint or like I think that I think that is highly indicative. I think that's another like 9 out of 10 on the uh usability scale like if someone is if someone looks like they're peering and they look nice and relaxed when they're doing it they're almost definitely going to be n-i-s-e um same thing with the eye size Uh, maybe a little less so i'm a little like i think it's a little less indicative i would still rate it pretty high like seven or eight out of ten but there's definitely there's definitely been cases of of like SFJs with small eyes that I've seen, but it's not common. Definitely not. Um, the snarl, the snarl, I think is pretty good as well. Maybe not as well, not maybe not as indicative as prone versus supine uh, eyebrows. But I can't think of a single person who's very supine who has a snarl. Uh, right? Yeah. No, I can't. Can't think of any. The insetness of the eyes, again, like a good 8 or 9 out of 10, right? What do you think about that one? I think it's pretty good. I think it's subtle, so sometimes it's hard to tell, but it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know mm-hmm. what? Um, for inset outside of eyes, we didn't mention this, but this is a big one. Let's just throw this in. Is epicanthic folds. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the epicanthic folds... Um, are a piece of skin that uh, is on the upper eyelid and it covers the inner corner of the eye. Um, So Asians have consistently, at least um, East Asians, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, reliably have epicanthic folds almost entirely um, that cover a large portion of their, their eye. Um, how would you relate this to, um, the physiotype though? Oh crap. I thought, wait, epicanthic fold. Epicanthic fold covers this part of the eye, right? Or is it also, it's also, it's it can all cover, the upper, isn't it? Can it can cover almost all the upper eye. I okay. think it depends on the yeah, individual. I'm... So yeah, upper epicanthic folds can cover the entire, or can, can cover can the, entire the entire upper eyelid upper yeah. yeah, but you'll see it more often on the outside upper. Like, it'll actually be covering part of the eye, the outside upper. Um, but then, like, really, really strong epicanthic folds or epicanthal folds, um, you'll even see visible on the inner part of the upper eye, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think we've we've related this back to S-E-N-I previously, right? Um, however, I... I, I rate this a little lower on the reliability scale only because I, I definitely have seen um, at least SFJs. I've definitely seen SFJs with it before. 
it's definitely less common and it's definitely less pronounced, but I, they do exist like enough for me to be like, maybe this is like a six or seven out of 10. And you would say ep- epicanthic folds are indicative of NISE, right? Not just pure Mesa, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not super reliable, I guess, because, well, I mean, there's like a 2 billion Asians, East Asians that have massive epicanthic folds and lots of them are not in I. In fact, yeah. a lot of them aren't in I. I. I think it can be, I think it's more indicative of like, I think it's more indicative in, at least in white Americans. I don't know, maybe Caucasians in general, but at least in white Americans, I think it's the, that's where it's the most usable. Yeah. So like if I were really good at typing, then I could use that in Asians, but I can't. So like, uh, yeah, white Americans, black Americans, you can definitely use epicanthic folds as a way to, as a way to reliably type them with, with Asians. It's a lot harder, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And that contributes to, um, the insetness of the eyes, right? Like if you have an epicanthic fold. I think at least in white Americans, I think it comes from their eye being so inset. Like, I think there is definitely some kind of relation there, whether, whether one comes from the other or maybe they're just, they're just paired. I don't know. Um, but I would you I I feel a lot more comfortable about using insetness of the eyes, um, yeah, versus the epicantral folds. Yeah, that's fair. Um, the next thing on our list are we call them mouth pockets or squirrel pockets. I don't I don't think we found an official term for it. Um, but it's basically some people. I don't know how to put it gracefully. Like it just looks like there's pockets under their lower their their lower lip like kind of like a squirrel um i'm sure there's a much better more graceful way to say this i don't want to alienate all our squirrel pocketed people out there um, you're talking about right here like within the lip below the upper below the bottom lip is that what you're saying right it is below the bottom lip and it appears to be it almost appears like maybe there's an extra layer of fat or an extra layer of skin, something between the skin just underneath your lower lip and the flesh that is between that skin and your gum, your lower gum. That is the best way I can describe it. I don't I don't know how to like I don't know, it's weird to word that one. Basically though, we only see that in like NTJ's SFPs almost exclusively. I don't think I've ever seen it in another type. I was going to say maybe STJs, but even then, I don't think so. I think it's just purely NTJs and SFPs. Yeah, I think yeah. that was a good uh, explanation. And I think it's nice. It's a nice uh, metric because it does not appear really in ST- in half messes or half metas. Um, it's not really indicative of NI necessarily. It's more just like full messes will have mouse pockets. Uh, otherwise, right. they probably won't. So right, it's right. a nice metric to use, though it's subtle. It is subtle. If you see those pockets, like they're definitely either SFP or NTJ. And if you're completely unable to to do any other face typing other than that, then like, you know, usually a simple conversation will clear up uh, any questions you still have. Exotropia versus esotropia. Thank you to our Patreoners. We appreciate the fact that you guys are there supporting us. We've talked about it before. We'll say it again. We are not full-time podcasters. This is not our means of making a living at all. Um, 
we don't expect anything out of it. However, the fact that you guys have been so gracious to support us the way you have has been really motivating. If you're not on Patreon yet, the link is in the show notes if you'd like to join. Um, there's plenty of perks. You get a pre-show, you get pro- uh, post shows, you get first look at the blog posts, first look at the podcast episodes. Um, but if you're not able to join, don't fret. No worries. But if you are able to join, please do. Thanks again, guys. Exotropia is when you're, is basically your eyes being crossed. So most of us can at will cross our eyes, right? You did that as a kid to mm-hmm. like uh, be sarcastic or whatever. Um, but you'll have like subtle exotropia um, that you'll see. Um, and it's, maybe it's not even like a medical condition or anything. They're fine. But their eyes are just a little more, uh, their irises are just a little closer together to the inner part of the eye. Now, is, is that exotropia or esotropia? Which one is which? So esotropia is cross-eyed, basically, um, when you have one or more eyes coming towards the center of the actual uh, eye socket, uh, iris, right? Um, and exotropia is outside, so it's like your your eyes are pointing two different ways. Oh, I was going to say, that's that's what, like, the more exotropic a person is, the more likely they are to be any SI, except for, like, one caveat that we'll get into in a second. And... The inverse is also true. The more esotropic they are, the more likely they are to be N-I-S-E. Um, the caveat being that we have seen more than one SFP with very, like, in- incredibly um, exaggerated exotropia. So, uh, apparently, there's some phenomenon where SFPs will occasionally get exotropia, but, like, it's usually it's just so profound that it just, it looks like it, there's something wrong. Like, I don't know, some kind of developmental issue. Uh, but for the most part, this remains correct. Except for that one caveat. And that's what will give, that's what will give, like, like really any heavy people that, like, really bug-eyed space, like, staring off into space look. Like, it's really... I don't know. Have you noticed this, Colby? Where, like, you're talking to someone who's really heavy any, and it just never looks like they're looking at you. Like, even if they're looking right at you, it's, it still looks like they're looking off to the side. Yeah. That would be, like, extremely heavy any, or, like, ex- yeah, like a lot of exotropia. Uh, Not much else to say about that, though. It, that, that caveat with the SSPs, though, is interesting. Um, Part of me wonders if it's, like, a genetic disorder that is only, that only affects SSPs or something. Just because of how pronounced it is when it happens. Now, here's kind of a, a random aside that may have something to do with exotropia, esotropia, or not. Seems like at the extremes, maybe any people are never looking at you, and ni people are looking at you too hard. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's giving you too much eye contact and is like looking at you too much, ni likes on eye contact more, um, or at least it feels like they like eye contact more. S like S E N I, like. Almost all the people in my life that I've been like, why are they staring at my eyeballs so hard? It's been SFPs, and the next, yeah. the next highest have been NTJs. Um, yeah, I, I think it, I think with them, it's like it's a mix of just like NI wanting to stare into your soul, and no FE to be like, hey, that's not socially acceptable. Um, that leads to that effect, but yeah, it's true. It's interesting. I'm kind of. I'm kind of always aware of like how much eye contact I'm making. I try and do just the right amount, but not too much. 
But sometimes I'll play a game where I'll like see how long the person will hold eye, eye contact. And SFPs, males or females, will often hold eye contact like considerably longer than I would. Like I've tried it and I've, I've gotten like five or six seconds of direct eye contact, which is a lot. Like that's okay. Eye contact starting now. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five. That is an eternity. <laughs> My not, normal eye contact is about like three quarters of a second or maybe a whole second. Like if I'm. I was, I was interacting with two SFPs yesterday and I was thinking about that. Like I was like, like I naturally almost never do any eye contact. I've realized like I'm always looking up, like up, down, left, right. Like I'm never think like every time I'm thinking my eyes are moving. So I just that plus the fact that like eye contact is kind of uncomfortable for extended periods of time means I like never hold eye contact. But like uh, yesterday I was like, I was doing the same thing actually. I was like, let's see how long I can hold. And well, they were not as intense as a, uh, that's what you described. It was, it's interesting. Um, that might be a good, who knows, that might be a good uh, quiz question. Probably not because self-assessment, but maybe we could ask, what is the acceptable <laughs> amount of <laughs> eye contact? Or, 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 or here's what we could ask. People often hold eye contact too long or people often, people don't make enough eye contact. Which one is true? And then you could, from there, maybe infer something. Maybe, probably not, but maybe it's worth a shot. Maybe, it's possible. Yeah. It depends how many other SFPs are in their population, too. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, do you want to talk about teeth? Yeah. Yeah. No, last one, teeth. So, teeth are interesting. Uh, teeth, like, of the things we've talked about, their teeth are probably lower on the reliability scale for me. Or at least certain aspects. So, there's some things. Like, for example... The two big teeth in the front of your mouth, the uh, the ones that are like rat teeth, those are called your central incisors. Um, if your central incisors, of course, braces and all that, you know, not included, assuming that you never got braces, assuming that you just have your normal original teeth, um, your central incisors, if they are slightly crossed, like almost like a person crossing their legs, like one just slightly overlaps the other almost 100% chance of being FI. Like, I I don't know that I've seen it in an FETI person ever. Um, it's probably one of the features I've looked for the least as well. But when I have looked for it, it's been very consistent. Um, there's other things that are less consistent, though, but that I do I do think hold a place. So, like, with this, like, cross, cross central incisors, it's not so much that, like, if you're FI, so your your teeth must be crossed, it's more like if your teeth are crossed, you must be FI. So there's plenty of people who are FI that don't have crossed teeth. But in my mind, anyways, there's no one who has crossed teeth that's not FI. And again, the crossed central incisors. I can't speak for the other teeth. Another pattern that we've seen less reliably is it seems like when there's a space between those two central incisors, uh the person is likely to be a prone type. So, you know, NTJ, STJ, STP, NTP. They're, if the person has space between those their teeth, they're more likely to be one of those types. Um, but I have seen enough... I have seen enough counterexamples of that for me to have low confidence, or at least lower confidence in that. Another thing, 
the bigger your canines are, the more likely you are to be FI. But again, I probably wouldn't rate that above like a seven on reliability. So vampires are FI. Right, exactly. And then the last one, which is probably the hardest to describe for me, is like some people when they smile and you, let's assume you're looking at two people that have a nice straight set of teeth. One of them smiles and they've got big incisors. They've got big canines. Their teeth are like all different levels, so to speak. Like their teeth, one will come down from the gum a little more than another. One will be closer to the gum than the other, just ever so slightly. And then another person will smile and all of their teeth will be like a straight line, like the exact same height from the gum. Uh, If you're person number two, you're probably feti if you're person number one it could probably go either way it really just depends on those front incisors and the canines but if you're person number two so with the level teeth almost definitely going to be feti so those are the traits we had written down would it be fun if we had like a couple little quizzes for the audience and we told them the status the status of a few of these properties and see if they can guess the type yeah, that would be very fun. Hopefully for the listener. Definitely for me. Okay. Oh, let's 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 play two. Why don't you give me one and the audience can guess and I'll guess two. So I'm basically describing a face to you. Yeah, using these comp- using these components that we've discussed though only. Okay. 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 Um Okay. Um someone who has very inset eyes dull colored eyes um they are slender they have terrible posture and they're pretty supine okay so they're inset eyes so that's going to indicate in i se you said they have dull eyes that's uh mesa they have terrible posture you said right mm-hmm. that's fi and then what was the last thing? Uh, they're pretty supine. All right. Um, I'm going to guess SFP on this one. Perfect. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. I was describing an SFP I was with yesterday. All right. Let me, let me do one for you. Okay. This person has fairly outset eyes. They are pretty prone. The eyebrows are prone, and they just flare off. And um, they have bad posture though and they have a vibrant color to their eyes stj exactly yes all right i mean we just went over all of these we're kind of like this is a very this is like a test that you're bound to win because we just described everything <laughs> in, yeah yeah well while we have the show notes right in front of us, and we've known this stuff for a long time, this might be a little more challenging for the listener. I don't know. Um, like, what's good about these show notes is that they're very easy to turn into a blog post. So, a blog post will probably be coming up shortly, describing all of this in slightly more detail. And I still need to make our website, right? Yes, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. We have an Instagram, guys. We need to. Uh, we need to plug our Instagram. Our Instagram is physiotypes with an s at the end um due to technical issues and our instagram manager being lazy and not having a lot of time but mostly just lazy 
he is using the physiotypes Instagram handle rather than physiotype singular. Uh, in the future, I probably will remove that S, but I currently don't have the mental energy to find the password for the other Instagram account. We have physiotype and physiotypes, and like physiotypes better, physiotype singular is better, but it'll be easy to change the handle in the future. Uh, <laughs> Alex, you're like, oh my God, what is wrong? Just plug the Instagram. What are you doing? No, let me do it again and you can choose. Our Instagram is physiotype. Physio- let me try again. Our Instagram, our Instagram handle is physiotypes. That's spelled P H Y S I O T Y P E S. Um, link in the show notes. Physiotypes. Link in the show notes. Yep, we'll be trying. I'll try and be consistent with that. Um, I'll get you the password, Alex. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure what the password is. I might have to reset. But uh, yeah, follow us on Instagram. Physiotypes. <laughs>